Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. The Vox Markets Podcast. Nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice and the people in this podcast may hold positions in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation. Please do your own research. Welcome back, everyone, to Vox Markets. My name is Paul Hill, and for this special Christmas edition, I am delighted again to be able to speak to Christopher Mills of Harwood Capital, one of the UK's best and finest uh, small and mid-cap investors. So welcome, Christopher. Thank you so much. How are you? Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's been a pretty tough uh, 2023, but we've managed to get through it. And now that inflation is starting to cool, we've had central banks last week, both the Fed, the ECB and the Bank of England, indicating that maybe they've they've stopped sort of raising rates and we may, the market's expecting rates to come down um, sometime next year in the various locations. So putting all that together, what do you sort of outlook for your sort of like sweet spot of small and mid caps and particularly special situations as we look into 2024 after a bit of battering in 2023 okay well i think the first point is that people who expect interest rates to normalize where they've been over the last 10 years i think are going to be in for one hell of a shock Mm. um yes i think rates could come down but they're going to be considerably higher uh than they've been for many, many years, not least of all because both the United States, UK, and to a lesser extent Europe, or some European countries, just as bad, have got massive debt rollovers. We're still borrowing billions and billions and billions, and we're trying to unwind quantitative easing. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be no shortage of government debt for people to buy anytime soon. Yeah. Um, As it relates to markets, I think if you look at the United Kingdom, which I think most people would be interested in, you know, there's still some big headwinds. So, for example, something like 20 billion a month of mortgages have got to be rolled over every month Mm. the next two or three years. Um, If you basically make the assumption they're going to get rolled over at a 300 basis point increase in interest rates, you know, that's a massive impact. seven eight nine billion coming out of out of you know consumers pockets um the other factor that's continuing is that uh even with interest rates coming down a bit they present you know a very attractive alternative to equity markets when people think you know i can lock money in at you know five percent you know guaranteed by the british government yeah, no, I've done that myself for two. I bought I bought sixteen month gilts at five percent. I treated myself because I've done any interest for for fifteen years. So, and I hope you bought gilts with a very low coupon because, as you know, if you make a capital gain on gilts uh, at maturity, that's tax free. Yeah, I put them in my ISA and my SIP, so it's all tax wrapped. Sort of like it didn't matter whether it was I got income for it tax free and I get capital gains. But you're right, if I if I'd done it outside of a SIP or ISA, then I'd have done it at a really low interest rate. You're right. 
Yeah, a lot of a lot of people don't know that, believe it or not, including you know some fund managers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that, Christopher. Sadly, it's true. <laughs> so, 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 in terms of the actual economy, then we've obviously got a number of still headwinds. However, having said that, sort of like in the small cap, and particularly on you know a sort of aim, and you know we've had a splurge of M and A activity recently, which suggests that obviously there's a lot of undervaluation there, and also that a lot of private equity wants to get ahead of the game in terms of if there is going to be a, ba- a rebound next year in sort of small caps. And I know you, you, you've got one in your portfolio. I mean, you, you've done really well out of, you know, all things sort of M&A this year, but but we've also got sort of Pendragon. So I don't know whether you could talk through that and also more broadly the M&A theme and how you see that sort of playing out for next year. Okay, well, I think, the, I think one of the trends for been in place this year is companies come in with inline results or even slightly better results you don't get much upside and if they come in with a mistake or a miss you get killed mm. so if you the, the market is very bifurcated it, it there's the market and then there's the companies that are being taken over where you're getting good premiums but if you're not in those stocks because you're bet you're unlucky or just hasn't worked for you, then you've got some real, real problems with the rest of the portfolio. Yep. Um, now, the trend to, to acquisitions is is continuing. So again, you've got another issue if you look at the market where you know we're losing, for better or worse, say 70, 80 companies a year through acquisitions and or failure. Mm. But new flotations, as we both know, are almost unheard of yeah and it's not exactly helped by the fact that you know the most recent one was cab payments of any <laughs> size which went from you know over three quid to 60p so fast people couldn't blink yeah you, you got punched that one yeah but the trouble is if you look at all the ipos since the last three years something like 90 percent of them are below the ipo price mm. so what's coming to the market probably isn't the same quality as what's going off the market. And the, and the number of overall listed companies, as you know, is, is declined very considerably. Mm. So, um, you know, the gene pool for people like me, who's a, who's a stock picker, is, is actually getting smaller. Yeah. And, and, you know, that creates difficulties. Mm. Having said that, that because of all the redemptions and because of the lack of interest in the market, um, you, you know, there are stunning bargains out there, in our opinion. And and you mentioned Pendragon, and that would be one that would be right at the top of the list. Mm. And why is that? Well, it's obviously it's ticked up from about I don't know sixteen p at the start of the year, and it's it's double that now. It's thirty two after receiving a number of interested bids and people falling out. And I think the the preferred play at the moment is is it Lithia or something yeah, like Lithia's that. Yeah, Lithia's got it. It's all over, right? Yeah. So basically, the problem with Pendragon is at this moment of time, nobody loves it, um, and the reason for that is. The biggest shareholder, who earns about 25%, just wants the cash. Um, institutions are now looking at getting a small stub stock. And, you know, because what the, the 32p is made up of 24p a share in cash as a dividend. Yeah. 
at a stub stock that is currently trading at seven and a half P, which values the stub at 120 million pounds. Mm. And so private individuals don't want a 24 and a half P dividend because they're going to end up paying 10 P in tax on it. Yeah. Um, institutions are saying, oh God, I've got, you know, I have this little stub. Do I really want to have to go and buy a lot more Pendragon, the technology company? Mm. And then small cap investors who understand the value of the technology company are saying, well, do I really want to have to put, in our case, 40 million aside, because we own 125 million shares, to get a stub stock worth seven and a half million? Mm. In our case, we we believe we absolutely do. And we believe when the stub chart starts trading by itself, um, it has the potential to rise very significantly. Now, why do I say that? Well, the first point is that stub stock was actually valued by an independent bank at 11 and a half pence per share. Mm. But since then, the news has just got nothing but better. So for 120 million pounds, what do you get? Um, the company has no pension deficit anymore. It has 10 million in cash, 10 million invested in the joint venture in the United States. So valuing the business at 100 million pounds. Now the UK business is a SaaS based software business, a market leader, uh, will have done 17 million of EBITDA last year or this year. Yeah. Um, so you're buying into a SaaS-based business at six times historic. Yeah. Now, Linthia have already come out and said publicly that since the takeover, they've won a further 12 million of revenues and 6 million of EBITDA. And the company has said publicly that it is comfortable with the UK business by 2027, and it takes time to install this software and train people. So 2027, 27 million of EBITDA UK business. Wow. So what do you value it? And, you know, when we met the management, they also said they thought they could actually beat that. Mm. Because one of the problems the software business had when it's part of Pendragon was that other dealers were reluctant to use them uh, because they were concerned that Pendragon could somehow see their information and use it to compete against them. Yeah, it's but now it's a pure play independent software mm. business. Yeah. But it's way better than that. Mm. Um, the American joint venture, Linthia basically spends $100 million a year on software. Linthia owns 51% of the JV and we own, and Pendragon owns 49%. Uh, management in their meeting with us said they believe the Linthia revenues alone by 2027 would be 30 million, sorry, $60 million of revenues, $30 million of EBITDA, and wow. say 15 million to the joint venture, another 12 million pounds. So by 2027, you could have a software business making let's just round it up to 40 million pounds yeah you know what the SaaS SaaS software businesses trade for 10 at least 10 times 12 times 14 times 12 and a half to 15 times in america it's way more than that yeah and of course linthia are hoping that they can attract other us dealers mm. to go onto the software platform mm. so what we're all all we're really talking about getting from 17 million to 40 million 18 million of that has already been achieved either by orders already in the United Kingdom or the Linthia joint venture. Mm. 
So we think this stub could easily go from seven and a half P to 30 to 40 P over a four year period. Yeah, no, I was just doing the maths myself. You strip out the cash. If you buy it for 100 million and then it trades at about 12 times uh, EBITDA in 2027, then with 40 million of EBITDA, you get naught. We get about 500 mil. So you five times your money, haven't you? So yeah, it's five times seven is easy. Even I could do that 35p. <laughs> I see why. I see why you've got a bit of a smile on your face there. And this is a podcast. <laughs> well, I think the answer is it goes back to. Not many, not many small cap fund managers are fortunate enough to have the sort of liquidity mm. that they can put, you know, forty million aside for a few months mm. uh, to get the seven and a half million. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, the the deal's already been approved by the CMA. The only outstanding issue is the FCA, and, and that's expected to be achieved uh, within the next two or three weeks. Uh, it had to be reviewed by the FCA because obviously motor dealers actually lend money. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so I, I get it. In terms of the actual, it's getting ahead of before they pay the dividend. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Because it's a bit of a pain for, for fund managers and therefore they're going to, if anything, they'll get interested when the stub starts trading on its own once, once the dividend is paid out because they don't need to then park, you know, 14 million of cash or whatever it is. Um, so if investors are interested, the best, probably the best time is, ne- is, is ahead of that dividend um, uh, payment, the ex-div day, I suppose. Yeah. So, but to make it work, you've therefore got to put it either in your ISA or your SIP. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. You can't have this in a, in a fund that, it, that pays taxes because otherwise you get killed. Yeah. Okay. You've just given me a very good idea there, Christopher. <laughs> Given my guilts are in my sips and my ices, I might be doing a switch play there. <laughs> so, there might be a swap over Christmas and New Year. Anyway. Okay, okay that's brilliant. Let's move on to another sector. We've got uh, life science and healthcare. Obviously, this is one of your real specialisations and you've got a fantastic track road over decades in this area. Let's start with Spire Healthcare, which is you know, a private sort of like hospital operator, but sort of branching out into special GP surgeries and also into sort of like uh, um, mental health and this sort of stuff as well. And I guess it's a real beneficiary of elective procedures coming back and people can't get an operation in the NHS like my dad and the most of my family. And therefore you, you got lots of private plays, which is all your latest on, on Spire because uh, it's not okay, it's, I think it's a really, really simple story, mm. Spire. It, it's stuffed full of assets. Yeah. Um, its largest shareholder, uh, they would either want to buy it or sell it. It makes no sense to have a 30% shareholding in it. And it really stacks up on fundamentals. So earnings per share this year are expected to double, mm. um, but not to a lot. So next year, they're doubling again to nearly 11p, with about a 30 40% increase projected into... 2025 right Uh, historically this stock has traded about 9.5 times ebitda Mm. it's trading now at eight times 24 and just over seven times 25 yeah so it's all going in the right direction they've returned to the dividend list again it's modest but at least it's there now um it's cheap as a multiple as I said, it's stuffed full of assets and freehold properties. Mm. And we believe those freehold properties are very conservatively valued in their books. Mm. So it's barely trading at a premium to tangible book anyway. Um, 
the problems of the NHS aren't going away anytime soon. Yeah. The backlogs. Mm. And the management is being now massively more proactive in how it's using um, its resources. Mm. So low margin stuff like um, facelifts, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing I need maybe over Christmas. <laughs> Are being phased out in favor of you know uh, of hip and knee operations yeah where there's much more value added mm. uh, much more uh profit per uh, hour in the uh in the operating theater yeah so that they're kind of doing a I was probably an unkind thing but a 10 entertainment where they're saying actually we've got a hospital now what do we put in our hospital mm. which maximizes the value of the revenues yeah. For the benefit of that hospital. Yeah. Product mix, basically, optimizing it. It's, yeah, exactly right. They're starting to optimize the product mix. Yeah. And you and put it, that together with something that's just fundamentally cheap anyway, mm. you know, well backed by assets. Uh, what's not to like? Mm. Well, what's the likelihood of this one getting taken out by sort of like an infrastructure private equity guide? Well, we're surprised it hasn't been taken out, to be true. Okay. <laughs> Certainly, when we bought this, we didn't think it would be around at Christmas. But <laughs> okay, yeah. The problem. But, but my I... point is, even if it's around next Christmas, you know, there's real value in this business. Yeah. There's no takeover premium in this business. Mm. Uh, you know, it's trading at a discount to, to where it's historically traded. Mm. The problem when I, I would argue it's a better business today. Yeah. Um, no, I would. It was then. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. As I say, the, the the problem I have when I interview you, Christopher, is you come up with so many of these ideas that I have to swap my portfolio out whenever we finish. <laughs> now, another one, just moving again to to Niox. Now, I know it's been a home run for you guys, and I should have bought this one years ago. Well, I think you mentioned it first th over three years, three years ago to me at about twenty five p, and I was, I was stupid. But um, hey, such is life. What's your your latest on this one? Because it's just firing on all cylinders, got a shed load of cash. It does. Um, asthma diagnostics doesn't it and it's uh it's so sort of it like does, um... it does fion testing which measures the nitrogen in your breath yeah uh which is important to know for your for your, for your medics mm. uh, it's a unique business it's got 95 percent of the world market uh, it's got technology which is world leading in accurate measurement and it's really still only penetrated five or six percent of the world market mm. Um, we like the stock a lot, but to be truthful with you, it's no longer cheap. Yeah. Um, you know, if you take even next year's numbers and adding back the corporate overhead, mm. uh, which would disappear in the event of an acquisition, you're still looking at about 16 million of EBITDA. Yeah. Um, and you're looking at a market cap today of about, uh, let's work it out, 260 million yeah okay and you've got about 20 million in cash yeah uh, however you have got an asset which people don't know about which is a massive tax loss which means this company is very unlikely to ever be paying taxes yeah that's the old Sicasia business correct mm. and that cash that so the consequent result is the EBITDA and the cash increase pretty much in line the cash conversion yeah. in this business is very very good mm. now if you look out to 
2025, but that's a long way away. Mm. You know, you can probably get to 20 million with corporate ad backs. And by the end of 2025, you'd probably end up with cash, I would guess. Well, the trouble is they're doing special special ad backs. But, yeah. you know, that could easily be 40 million by then. Mm. So, you know, if you're a long-term investor, there's value here. But um, this is not going to do in 2024 what it's done in 2023, which, as you know, has been... yeah one hell of a ride um, yeah. i think I, I think we're up over the last 12 months nearly 90 percent or yeah, 85 percent yeah when you first started piling into this it was 25p wasn't it so uh it's 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 nearly tripled your money since uh you originally got in and, and just in terms just more generally when you have a home run like this and you've almost tripled your money i mean does does, does harwood sort of ever take top top slice or take a bit of profit off the table because it must be a super large position now <laughs> Yeah, it is a very large position now, particularly in Oryx, which has done very well out of it. Yeah. And it's been one of the reasons why Oryx has had such a good year this year, although it also benefited from the takeover of friends like Crestchick. Yeah, no, <laughs> or- thanks for doing that. <laughs> that was another one you sort of like helped me with. <laughs> and I don't know whether you remember, but we were quite big into thing called On The Market. Yeah, they've got to, yeah, you're right. And we were lucky. We were just buying city pubs when that one went. Mm. Uh, we had uh, Seraphim. You've had Smooth as well. Smooth as well. Yeah, there's been a whole string of them. So yeah, I know. You know, it's what's what's for next year. Um, <laughs> so when it's so when it's a top slicing, I mean, is it, 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 it's it's one of those as a, as a principle. Do you ever do it? Because you, 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 yeah, we do. We absolutely do do it. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. But. Uh, I suppose that our view on Niox is that it's a strategically valuable business. Mm. And if we get lucky, someone will come yeah. and pay a big price. Mm. And if we don't get lucky, it'll earn its way in over 18 months into being fair value or cheap again. Yeah, okay. It will catch up to its multiple. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Okay, good. And on top okay. of it, as you said, it's throwing off a lot of cash. It's going mm. to return to the dividend list. As you know, it did a special dividend as well. Um, it could easily afford to pay the dividend going forward. Um, and you know, the management there is, in our opinion, outstandingly good. Mm. Uh, and you know, if we could ever get into consumer, which yeah. We wouldn't be the right person to do, but if we could find a partner to take us into consumer where people could do the testing in their home, that would mm. be a game changer. But I'm not saying that is likely yeah. anytime <clears throat> soon, but it's something that I'm sure they're thinking about. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, brilliant. Okay, let's move to another one. We've got to EKF, which uh, was obviously a bit of a COVID dialing um, in 2020 and 2021 and generated a lot of cash and and then moved into was sort of this new project enzyme production for food in the industry and the pharmaceutical industry out in the states over in indiana and i think it's had a few sort of startup issues what's the really latest on this because the shares have come back but uh okay. seem rock solid between 25 and 30p yeah well i mean i think this now nah, it's all been overdone i think everyone completely forgot there's a real business sitting in EKF. Mm. Um, you know, we're a global leader in testing for hemoglobin. We're a major player in testing for diabetes. We're a global leader in testing for ketone acetosis. And 
there's no question that the enzyme uh, uh, enzyme well the, the money we we put into the new enzyme facilities which is we've created a world-class facility now i mean we mm. really have yeah um has taken longer than we expected and that was just because you've got the equipment there you still got to, to run batches before the clients will start to use you mm. um so they're now gaining clients uh a lot of the excess cost base had to be taken out because as COVID disappeared, you know, we had to right-size the company again, or Julian had to right-size the company again. Um, but now I think we're in a very, very good place. Um, what's the what's the underlying demand like for that enzyme? Because that's the big question, is that it seems though it's put a lot of, you know, sort of, um, you, you know, sort of equipment in there, and it looks great, it's first class. And, the, and I know Julian has publicly said he's, he's signed his first order. But the underlying demand, because I, th I think the, the, the is... underlying demand is very good. Is it? But you've got good. to prove to the clients that it works. Right. Okay. That you can develop their enzyme. Yeah. Um, basically, if you look at the enzyme market, there are very big companies like Eli Lilly that produce large batches of enzymes for the food mm. industry. Yeah. There's then laboratories that put, produce very small amounts of enzymes for research. There's a massive little niche. Which is which is underserved mm. or medium-sized producers of enzymes. Right, okay. And enzymes have very good margins. Yeah. They're complicated to make, but when if you when you make them, they have very good margins. Mm. And we already have some good customers in enzymes like Roche. Yeah. Um, and as as you said, new customers are now starting to arrive. So mm. I think you'll see. Uh, EK have come out with, you know, forecasted line. I would believe. Um, we well, that, it's, it's quite interesting because the forecasts. I think Julian's been sounds as though ultra conservative because he stripped out all of the enzyme potential sales for this year, which makes total sense given the problems. But there isn't much in there for 2024 either. And if the underlying demand is, it, there must there must be a sort of like tilting towards sort of quite underlying confidence that the the you know the, the performance is going to be at least in line next year for 2024 and 2025 as those new customers test those batches those sample batches and then want to put orders onto it we would have to so. say you'd have the same view you say sorry <laughs> i said we would hope so oh okay <laughs> <laughs> let's say we believe so okay um, but you know it's uh you don't want to. You don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, do you? No, no. Particularly given what's happened, I totally get it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Okay, well, that uh, that sort of definitely gives me a good picture of um, the sort of status. And, I, and I'm with you. It's it's a rock solid uh, underlying core business that's probably more worth more than the actual share prices it is. So you get all the enzyme upside. So uh, looks good. Um, I mean, yes, I personally would believe that our core business is worth more than the current share price. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, and the core business, by the way, is still growing nicely. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
Okay, let's move to kidney diagnostics. You've got two here. You've got renalytics, which I know we've talked about over the last three years. Again, it did very well out of COVID and has, has sort of like struggled a bit just recently in terms of financing and, and FDA delays. It does sort of early stage kidney diagnosis of sort of health and, you know, out in the States. I think does level one to three. And then we've also got uh, Verici, which does um, pr prognostics and diagnostics for the stage for which is basically kidney transplants uh, patients. So do you want to take us through Renalytics first? Because I think it's going through a financing okay, well, Renalytics, if you told me we could get FDA approval, mm. reimbursements, uh, real-world evidence, I'd have a share price where it is today. Um, you know, I just wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, what people are concerned about is... You know, clearly, uh, at some stage, this company will run out of money. And how do we fix that problem before it does? And this is something the board is working very actively on yeah. uh, to make sure that does not happen. Mm. Um, and in that context, uh, you know, something like Verici did as a possibility, bringing in new investors a possibility. Mm. Um but it's really tough out there. It's it's yeah. not easy to raise money for for life sciences at the moment if you're not making money. Mm. Yeah, I think um, with, with Verici, they've just basically got that uh, big deal, haven't they? With um... yeah. the pull, Sarah pulled an absolute blinder on that. Yeah, um, Thermo um, Fisher, isn't it for Clarava? Correct. And ultimately, they're going to have two other products. Mm. Um, and I would expect that they will look to do. Well, I don't know this, but what I would hope that they would do would be looked again, outsource those products to people who've got, you know, substantial marketing organizations because the cost of creating a U.S. marketing organization is way beyond the resources of a Verici. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, they've got two other exciting products and to go with, you know, phase payments and then a long-term royalty. Mm. Um, you know, it's not a bad way to go because then you can cut back the cost of running the business to very little mm. and just take royalty payments for a long period of time. And there's always the possibility that if Thermo was to, you know, take a royalty on one of the other products, yeah. you'd come back and just take the whole thing because it would make sense. Yeah, I, I've got this one. That's me speculating. That's, it's not... Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, it is. I mean, let's be clear about it. We all sort of have, have our speculation and our view, but I, I, I'm with you. I actually think Thermo Fisher is uh, is kicking the tyres on the technology, transferring that uh, Clorava test into its labs, having a good look at it, making sure that they're very happy with it. And once that once that's occurred, then they've they <laughs> they've probably de-risked any of the any of their internal due diligence. And uh, let's let's wait and see, but. Uh, I think both of them are just, you know, Renalytics seem to have seen that both of them seem to have major catalytics. Re Renalytics, once they've actually got the financing round sorted out, that presumably should underpin the shares. And then Verici, in terms of they should hopefully, if they if things moved ahead, they they, they could they could be EBITDA break even by the back end of next year. I, I don't know what the forecasts are. I yeah. thought that uh, yes, that is, you know. The product is is a revolutionary product. Mm. Um, you've now got one of the world's largest pharma companies behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, they have every incentive to 
promote it because they don't have this product. Yeah, agreed. Okay, good. Okay, well, let's move on to um, to animal health, pet health. We've got um, animal care, which I have noticed actually over the last few months. Um, Harwood have been sort of like uh, picking up any loose stock on the market, and this one does sort of like you know farm pharmaceuticals and drugs for. Dogs, cats, horses. Some some in the dental side, but they're also developing a uh, sort of um, antibiotic type of stuff in a, in a joint venture. So they seem to have a lot of moving parts there. What's sort of your latest on this one? Okay, well, I mean, I mean Jenny Winter, we think is an outstandingly good chief executive. Mm. She's done a really good job with this company uh, since she became chief executive. Uh, it was a bit of a mess when she inherited, in my opinion. Um, mm. It certainly isn't now. Uh, the company, I believe, is now debt-free. Yep. Um, EBITDA, somewhere between 14, 15 million this year. Yep. Um, so we're trading at seven times. Uh, this company is totally unaffected by, you know, the CMA issues with CVS, et cetera. Is it? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, basically, A, it's predominantly a European business, and B, mm. it's, a, it's a distributor and manufacturer. It has its own, it has its own proprietary drugs and it's a distributor yeah. of other people's drugs. Yeah. So it's much more like a DECRA yes. than it is a CVS. Yes. So the way we kind of see it is you've got a good business, with a good chief executive, growing modestly, but you've got the hope that the new generation of drugs that's that's being developed mm. uh, that we won't know whether they're successful probably until 26 27 mm. if they are it's a total game changer yeah and if they're not you know you're buying a business which by then will probably be at six times ev EBITDA with a nice cash pile yeah um so we kind of see this as well, there's no such thing as a one-way bet, but mm. there isn't a lot of downside. Yeah, because the froth has come out of the stock. I mean, it was nearly 400. Well, it was 400p at one stage. Yeah, you know, we're buying at 170, which values yeah. the company a little more than 100 million. Yeah, um, I think about 103 million or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, with good cash flow, good management, and you know, my suspicion would be if the drug doesn't work, some private or somebody will want European distribution will take it out anyway. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, and also you look at sort of the poster child of the industry, Zoetis out to the States. It trades at around 25, 30 times PE and and uh, animal cares on uh, 13 times. So <laughs> there's, a bit, there's a bit of difference just on valuation. Yes, and well, a lot and... and... As I said, it has it has good cash conversion, um, and you know, no debt. What's not to like, really? Yeah, no, no, I would agree. Okay, good. Well, let's move on to another. Sector. And I mean, in normal markets, you know, people would have more patience for a company like this. Hmm. You know, we're not saying this is going to be a great victory in twenty twenty four, but but you know, we believe that by twenty twenty seven. If we get lucky, we could treble our money. And if we don't, we could still make, you know, 30, 40, 50%. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, it looks, as I say, it's a uh, 
you win heads i win tails i win so uh yeah you should do well i'm not apologies for investors we've got a bit of background i'm not sure where that came from but uh, <laughs> it was something anyway um i think it was probably amazon or something like that we've got now just turning to industrials we've got um having trials and i know we've talked about this one before it's a specialist in you know industrial business that uh it's sort of you know done buy and build uh, um it's got spec expertise in in nuclear on the new nuclear as customers like uh bill gates is terra power it also has decommissioning with uh, the storage boxes out in Sellafield. It also does blast-proof doors. And also, on top of all of that, it's got some specialization in uh, in healthcare with its um, Magnetica business and also with Adaptics as well, which is doing small-form uh, um, MRI and small-form X-ray. Uh, X-ray. So do you, do you want to take us through your latest on this one? Because obviously it's putting a bit of investment into it into its medical side this year um but does well, think well that... and next year and the year after to be truthful with you yeah uh, so uh, the way we kind of see this one is the non-medical businesses are in our opinion probably worth 25% more than current share price yeah agreed and that's the bit we understand yeah the medical businesses you know if it's true that they can reduce the price of MRI scans by you know, 50, 60, 70%. Yeah. And they're easily portable and, you know, they, they would be able to be used with, you know, pets because they're so cheap relative to the alternative now. Mm. You know, it just could be the most monster victory. But yeah. what <clears throat> we like to, you know, focus on in our thought process is, we're kind of underwritten by the core businesses. Yeah, the core businesses are doing well. You've got, uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned last time. We sell just... one or two of them in the near future because, yeah. you know, remember it's a it, buy, improve, and exit strategy. Yeah. Um. So the the real issue is, can they find other good acquisitions at favourable prices? Well, you're still in an environment where. Uh, a lot of businesses aren't doing so well. Mm. Um, the banks are, are getting more nervous, and actually, one of the ways they're trying to hide their profitability is by, you know, calling some of their bad debt in rather than extend and pretend. Mm. Um, so around the current share price, you're underwritten by the core business, mm. and you have the hope or or prayer, yeah, the medical side works, and then you have a huge victory on your hands. Hmm. And, and you know, the, the management behind this company have proved themselves in the past to be really good at making money, and I think it's tough to bet against them at the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, this, the, the sort of turnover for next year is just south of 140 million. But I know when you talked about it last time, you mentioned they've got this. There's a, a potential 900 million pound storage box contract coming out of Sellafield over the next few years and I know they won't get everything on that at all well they you know they they hope to get one third to put it in context wow okay <laughs> so so when you talk about the the core business underpinning the share price actually that won't if they get if they get that a third of it then that's uh that will move the dial significantly <laughs> yes that's one way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> what what in terms of the sort of the the other health, that healthcare upside, 
I mean, obviously, you know, the, the management team is really astute, you know, the two Steves, et cetera. They've been doing this as a team for 15, 20 years, and they wouldn't be sort of like, you know, chasing wild goose, sort of like, you know, gooses in the on, on the Christmas tree, et cetera. What, what sort of probability would you put on this sort of MRI X-ray? Because you, you, you would anticipate, given their track record, it's got to be better than 50-50 because they just wouldn't be going ahead with it otherwise. Yes, I, I look. As I said, it, it's yeah. I I would hope it's better than fifty percent. Yeah, exactly. I was being uh, cautious. <laughs> but yeah, okay. As I said, look, they've got a good track record. They know what they're doing. They, mm. you know, they they own big positions in this company themselves personally. Yeah. Uh, so it seems unlikely that. Uh, they only think it's a 50 50 chance because they're putting real you know, their own real money behind this thing. Yeah, okay. You know, this right. isn't a management team that doesn't have a significant interest in the, in the equity of the business. Agreed, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's move on to um, B2B um, sort of media, business services and stuff. We've got Centaur Media, which does sort of like, uh, I think it, it owns the lawyer and um, it's been going through a bit of a, a sort of like a turnaround over the last three years. Seems to have successively done that it's stuffed full of cash um and um it's cut the shares have come off what's your latest on this one because swag Mukherjee, the ceo who you highlighted a few years ago seems to have done a good job actually yeah i mean i think the issue here is as you said well it's actually just absurd isn't it if you look at the market cap i think it's 54 55 million quid yeah that's right cash is i think give or take 11 12 million yeah um even with a slowdown in advertising this year they're still talking about 10 million of ebitda mm. uh, so do the math and then yeah. you know if you say the central costs are two or three million which they probably are mm. um you're buying the businesses at you know less than four times it's it's absolutely potty yeah yeah yeah, they do, and they've got that. They've got that MBA, haven't they, as well? That marketing yeah. MBA course, which seems to be knocking the ball out of the park with people like Unilever as clients. Yeah, yeah. I mean, e-learning is is deemed to be a very attractive sector. I mean, we own an e-learning business somewhere else. Yeah, and you know, we're, we're expecting to get, you know, probably twelve times EBITDA for it. Mm. Um, you know, the lawyer is dominant market leader. It's all digital now. Um. Don't know what that's worth, but again, these assets are worth way more than four times. It's yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it does look totally mispriced. Get it? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, well, let's move on to consumer. I know you've had you've had some successes with Ten Entertainment and stuff. We've got in there perhaps a bit more was going through a, a turnaround. We've got Hostmall, which owns the old TGI Fridays um, franchise in the UK. It was spun out, I think, about two or three years ago. And I guess this one is a sort of like. How do you view sort of like the success rate of turnarounds? Because it needs to do a bit of a refinancing. And I guess it's the it's the sort of Charlie Munger test. And they say, you know, invert, invert. What what what's the what does success look like? And is it possible to achieve it? Okay, well, we've we spent a lot of time with the management on this one because this has been a mistake. Uh, yeah. We've, we've definitely lost money on this. Yeah. Um I have to tell you, A, they put their own money where their mouth is, and B. Mm. It's actually quite credible. I mean, what they what they ultimately believe is they can get the EBITDA back to over twenty million pounds, and that's okay. real EBITDA. Yeah, 
that they can slowly but surely reduce the debt down. Mm. Uh, and you know, this is this is like a public leverage buyout, basically. It's a public leverage buyout with almost a turnaround attached yeah. to it. Um you know, they're talking of taking six million out of the cost base. Mm. You know, twenty-two million of EBITDA is not so crazy, given believe it or not, it was twenty-two million in twenty twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if they can achieve this, you know, this stock could easily double or treble, but this one's certainly not for widows and orphans. Yeah. Well, it's only got it's got an EV of roughly just over sixty million. So you're right, if they can do twenty million of EBITDA then that would only put it on a three times multiple. Correct. Hmm. And if the debt's coming down and that equity is, and that sort of multiple goes up, you can see the swing on the equity could be very dramatic. Yeah. But we yeah. got this one wrong. I think our average purchase price is about twice the current share price. Hmm. Well, it could be uh, one of those, it could be one of those winners for you in 2024. I guess the big sort of like catalyst is a bit like uh Renalytics is that financing, isn't it? If it comes through and it's uh, it's it's not. Well, we too... think from our discussions with them that they haven't got a problem on financing. Okay. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the theses we had at one stage was they would come back and ask for some more money. Mm. Um, we don't actually think they will now. Wow. Yeah, I I'd could have... be wrong, but yeah, um, they're definitely doing their best to avoid it if they can. Okay. Good. All right. Okay. Well, that's one we're watching out for. Now, just moving on to sort of technology-enabled um, services, we've got a Red Centric, and we haven't spoken about this one before. But it's a sort of like a IT sort of outsourcers and managed services. But it also bought SunGuard's data centers, I think, a couple of years ago for about twenty-two million quid, and that's quite an interesting play because it pushes up its gross margins and its recurring revenue streams, I guess. And it trades at a pretty—I think it's a pretty reasonable valuation, actually. I'm just having a quick look myself. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, uh, well, eight times EBITDA, I think, at the moment. On on yeah, you've on... got to be careful with that EBITDA number because uh, on it's, if you take the IFRS sixteen number, it's about six million lower. Right. Okay. Gotcha. That's the pre one. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. But having said that, um, they have taken a huge amount of the cost base this year. That's both been done by reducing people, but actually also uh, bringing in new equipment, which significantly reduces energy usage. Mm. Uh, they've capped energy prices at relatively favorable levels. So next year's number of 35 million real EBITDA, we think is eminently achievable. Yep. Um, that should enable them to start paying down meaningful amounts of debt. Mm. Because again, this year, uh, they had a lot of uh, CapEx that they need to put in place to get the thing fit, to, to get the thing, to get the operations maximized, I suppose. Yeah, okay. And is that that's capex on sort of GPUs from Nvidia? Is it like the big hyperscalers? I'm guessing. Well, no, a lot of the capex is is better cooling systems. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I suppose but that's. A, I don't a big... think it's quite AI. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I guess if you've got any, is is a sort of the, what's the strategic logic of going into data centers? Is it because you've you've got you win the managed service contract, and rather than paying a 
Amazon or a, or a you know Microsoft Azure to be able to do the hosting. You do it in house, and therefore you win on both plate on both sides. Yes, and in fact, I mean the data center business in itself is is a good business. Mm. Um, and uh, no, I mean it's fundamentally a good business. Yeah, so, okay. and Peter Brotherton has proved in the past that he's actually very good at cutting costs. Remember, he had to turn around Red Centric all those years ago. Right. He, I mean, the problem is the business then plateaued, mm. wasn't growing organically, so they made the acquisitions. But what they now seem to have achieved actually is some organic growth as well. Yeah. As just purely acquisitions. Mm. Well, I must admit, when he's got sort of data centers and it's got sort of like recurring revenue streams, it's currently on um, a sort of seven times EBIT uh, margin. So not seven times, seven percent, seven or eight percent EBIT margin, um, which frankly should no. be a lot, should be a lot higher. Yeah. Okay, I don't. <laughs> I, I would, um, I would say it should be anyway. If you're making seventy percent or sixty, seventy percent gross. Well, margin. I think, the, I think the the point is that yeah, you're right, but the EBIT EBIT margin is going up a lot. To 13 14 percent when you start looking at the 25 numbers that's what that's exactly what i meant there's a lot of self-help and a lot of it's efficiency story you haven't, you haven't got to win too much business to drive your bottom line to double your bottom line quite quickly well and a lot of that is is the result of the capex that's been put in today yeah okay sorry in this year yeah okay so taking the asset making the asset infinitely more efficient which is what brotherton has done mm. uh, and i said protecting the company from spikes in energy prices because it's the problem with data centers is they use up a lot of energy as i'm sure you know yeah and so if you if you can't control that you don't want and it's hard for us to put past the pricing on yeah so matching matching the buyer and the seller of the energy together is what he's done mm. and creating a margin it's just it is a sort of a big move forward yeah. for the company in the in the 25 calendar year which starts in march or april the first next year okay good okay well another one in that sector is maintel and um, that's a sort of provider of cloud and managed communication services i think sort of like hosted desktop secure comms broadband etc for public and private companies slightly lower because it hasn't got the data center arm, um, gross margins around about sort of 30, 35%. Um, it's got a bit of debt. Um, and um, I'm guessing it's a sort of, again, a bit of a turnaround. Well, it definitely is. Um, the company got itself in a bit of a mess. And the new chief executive, Carol, came in. Mm. Has done a stunningly good job yep. of turning this thing around. Um Next year, you'll start to see the debt starting to fall. Um, I hope we're going to see also uh, some growth in the sales next year. We had a bit of sales growth this year, mm. but this year was very much all to do with um, sorting out the problems that she inherited really at the end of last year. Yeah. Um, now that resulted in some, you know, one-off costs and restructuring costs this year, um, and getting the creditors back into shape. But we would expect the debt to start falling next year. Mm. Um, and I mean, she's done an outstandingly good job. And, it, you know, it's a pretty cheap stock. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I might have got the the the, uh, the IFF rush wrong, but it, it looks to here if it's on a less than four times EBITDA. Um, let me work that one out. It's 20. Well, it's the market just... cap's up 2043. It's, it's about four and a bit, but that falls to about four times next year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So it's definitely a pretty stunning, stunningly cheap. Now, moving on to um, restore. But I mean, very, 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 very illiquid. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. 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 So... I mean, it's. This thing almost trades by appointment. I mean, you know, it's highly surprising. It's a 23 for 24 million market cap. Okay, so if you want to buy it, you're going to have to further wait until there's a bit of a, a bit of a stock overhang, but something loose, and then you can pick something up, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. But you know, relatively small trades would move this thing a lot, I suspect. Okay. Good. All right. Okay. Well, let's move on to restore. Which does sort of like uh, document archiving, and uh, one of the uh, one of your colleagues in the Harwood stable, Richard Staverley, talked positively about this one about two months ago, and uh, he was saying there's a rock star CEO who's come back into the game. What's your sort of your latest on uh, on on Restore? Because again, it's going through a bit of a, a turnaround. It, it came off, but the shares have bounced off the bottom. Okay, well the answer is that you know within Harwood we all talk to one another. Um, and we all share one another's ideas. Yeah. So I'm definitely not taking the credit for the restore idea, which is, in fact, as you correctly said, Richard Stavely's. Yeah, OK. Um, I did meet uh, Charles Skinner, the, the old CEO who's returned with Richard mm. about six, eight weeks ago. Yeah. Monday, perhaps a bit longer. Mm. And there's no doubt at all that he's got a clear plan as to how we can materially improve the profitability of this business. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's simple things like the head office balloon from seven people to 57 or something like that. Yeah. You know, getting it back down more to size, uh, consolidating some of the facilities, thereby reducing rental costs that can't be done overnight. Uh, and just refocusing on the business not getting distracted by some poor acquisitions that got made. Um, so we think this company will comfortably beat uh, forecasts as we move into 23, sorry, 24 and 25. Yeah. Um, I think it would be disappointing if earnings in 25 weren't 25p. Yeah. Kind of easy number to remember. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it wasn't so long ago this stock, you know, was a darling trading mm. of you know, 20 times earnings. Yeah. So it only takes you to get back to say, let's say 12 times earnings. Mm. And if you put that in the context of the majority of the business uh, is an iron mountain con. I yes, think that exactly. trades at about 30 times earnings. Yeah. Because these revenues are very sticky. Mm. You know, the stock's about 205 today. I, I can see it over a two year period getting to 300. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, but I'd be really disappointed if it wasn't three hundred. Mm. Um, you know, December twenty-five. Mm. Yeah, with that sort of recurring that's... recurring revenue stream, then uh, there's a lot of people who potentially buy it. That's for sure because it's just guaranteed income, isn't it, for for years ahead? Correct. Yeah, you can't get rid of this stuff, sadly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, you can it, which reduces a bit, yeah. but you can't get rid of it. Yeah. 
Now another one. We'll just move on to um, uh, into dealer brokers and asset managers. Let's do to uh, TP ICAP, and a, a big thanks to you, Christopher, because I've I I fo- you talked about it about I don't know eighteen months ago, and I followed you into it, and, and it's paid handsome, handsome dividends, and is up about I don't know ten fifteen percent. It's the it's I think it's the world's biggest sort of inter dealer broker. It benefits from market volatility, interest rates, and energy and commodity volatility. Gosh, uh, I hope you're up a bit more than ten percent because I mean our average is about one forty. We actually yeah, no, think, buying at one ten. Yeah, I think I've, I can't remember about one fifty. I bought it's one ninety currently, but the dividends of it's dividend yield of over six percent. So that, that hasn't been oh, bad. I mean, even more than that. I mean. It, Brokers are expecting the dividend for next year to be, you know, over fourteen p. Okay, yeah. Well, so we're still look... yielding seven. Yeah. Uh, and and the, still the story's intact. Um, you were talking about the parameter, parameter. weren't you? The parameter yeah, data business. The data is still growing very nicely. Mm. Uh, gaining new, uh, gaining new verticals. Um, I mean, we believe parameter. Well, it's worth a billion every day of the week. Uh, Could be worth as much as one and a half billion, which would be the whole market cap. Yeah. Uh, One of the problems they've had is that if they tried to divest it, um, they had to put a lot of businesses together and there were tax issues. And slowly but surely, there's a working their way through. Um, And then obviously, with all this interest rate volatility, Mm. um, the the core business is is actually doing pretty well because for years... You know, interest rates were kind of zero mm. and, and, you know, ranging between zero and zero, yeah. which didn't create the volatility. But now you've got volatility in the marketplace. Mm. Um, uh, you know, the, that business is doing well. And if you look at, uh, if you valued it, say, 250 million, mm. you know, that's valuing it at one times EBITDA. Yeah. And, liquid net if they can ever turn it around and get it anywhere close to what they paid for it which was give or take 500 million mm. um so we still think there's a lot of value in there yeah they i've got some of the parts of share buyback yeah uh, and we would expect them to continue to do share buybacks mm. and interestingly enough something that might surprise you is this is a business that actually has no net debt now it has debt mm. but it has no net debt yeah because it holds the cash, doesn't it? Presumably, for it a... holds a lot of cash, but it needs yeah. that yeah. cash for its trading businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I mean, I've I've got a target price or some of the parts, and I'm reasonably conservative on two ninety. So uh, I think there's plenty of upside. So thanks for that. <laughs> I'll okay, give you well, a... <laughs> that might be optimistic, but I, I would certainly hope to see it in the, you know comfortably into the twos over the course of the year. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, another, uh, another one, another one you've um, you sort of like talked about, and I, I followed you in because I is Asset Co. And I know you bought a, quite a few shares at about thirty five p probably a year ago, and it's trading at about forty eight. And this is an unbundling play. It's um, it's it's I think it's it's run by exec chairman Martin Gilbert, who obviously started <laughs> as the founder of uh, Aberdeen Asset Management. Um, and uh, it's sort of it's got it's got Global River, which is the asset manager. It's got it's got some cash, and then it's also got thirty percent of uh, of Parmenian. How, how do you sorry? What's your latest on this one? Okay, well, um, River and Mercantile, they're slowly but surely winning new business. Um, they, you know, they did a good deal on an Indian fund the other day. Yeah. Um, 
And all this is designed to get River and Mercantile back into profitability. Mm. It's certainly been a bigger struggle than people had, uh, uh, had expected. Uh, Rise turned out to be a mistake and was cash flow negative, but that's now been sold. Yeah. And as you said, Parmenian, we own, you know, they own 30% of Parmenian. And you can argue, I think very easily, um, that Parmenian is worth more than the whole company by yeah. multiple. Agreed. And I think they came out and said that Parmenian was worth somewhere between 70 and 100 million. That's correct, yeah. And, you know, we're looking at a market cap of, you know, 60, mm. as you said, and there's cash. So yeah. well, some of the parts are things very cheap. Mm. Yeah, no, it looks like an unbundling play, that one, definitely. Okay, uh, good. Another another one you've mentioned, which I haven't followed you in yet, yet, <laughs> is, uh, is Polar Capital, which I is, is basically a, a tech healthcare specialist um, asset manager. And I can't believe it seems to have a dividend yield of, um, of 10%, actually. Yeah, that's right. So, look, uh, actually, we have made good money on this thing. And we've had, mm. also joined the benefit of a dividend. Yeah. But... Um, you know, there's been a lot of headwinds for fund managers, and you know, Polar's had those headwinds too. Mm. Um, but we actually believe that Gavin Rogerson is an outstandingly good chief executive, mm. that he does intend to build value both for himself and shareholders. Yeah. Now, we don't pretend to be very good at high technology. Mm. Um, uh, so, this gave us or gives us a way into technology. Yeah, you know, benefiting from people who understand it way better than we do, mm. um, and obviously they get to see all these emerging companies, mm. um, and you know they're specialists and we aren't, mm. um, and to have a portfolio with no exposure to technology makes no sense. Mm. So have a portfolio with some exposure to technology, but it's also yielding ten percent when the technology companies themselves yield nothing. Mm. Um, made sense to us or makes sense to us. I think you're doing yourself a misjustice there, actually, Christopher, because when you've talked about software companies, you're pretty knowledgeable on those. And when it comes to life sciences, I'll tell you, the, you're the, high, the, the biggest shining light in the UK. So don't knock yourself too much in terms of technology. You'd shoot the lights out compared to most investors like me, I can, I can promise you. But uh, <laughs> Well, but sort of. AI stuff is not stuff that we really understand. It's very easy to understand a Pendragon where it's an established technology, it's a market yeah. leader, and it's trading at six times EBITDA. It's not so easy when it's uh, not going to make a penny in revenue for five years or three years or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I understand that. Okay, good. Well, let's move on to some distributors then. We've got a Flowtech Fluid Power, who we've talked about quite a bit, and they've sort of swapped out uh, their CEO. I think they've got Mike England in there now. It seems to be, again, this turnaround taking a lot longer than, um, um, than, than certainly I think most shareholders were expecting. Um, it just it gets, it needs to get it's got a bit of debt, but it basically offers services and products as a distributor for pneumatics and for uh, fluid power applications. You'll take us through your latest on this one because uh, again, okay, I, think, see I think the trouble is people expect things to happen overnight, and in reality, they never do. Mm. The way we kind of look at it is if, you, if someone goes new goes into a business. Mm. They find the first, they, in the first year, they kind of figure out what they need to do and how they're going to do it. 
Mm. The second year they implement it. The third year, it's apparently abundantly obvious to everybody. And normally in our world, hopefully in the fourth year, everything's flying and you put the company up for sale and job done. Yeah. So I think Mike only arrived middle of the year, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, he's very much in that first year. Mm. You know, we'd expect to see, you know, a, a, some improvement as you move into the tail end of next year. Yeah. With becoming very obvious the following year. Mm. Um, and then him hopefully making his performance bonus uh, as we move into 25. Mm. Now, uh, market for, you know, the general consensus or the general business plan was to double the EBITDA, I think, by 27. Yeah. Um, and then you've got something that's so phenomenally cheap. And I just honestly don't see the downside in the damn thing at the moment, given, you know, we're trading at whatever is five and a half, six times EBITDA. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's a weeny bit more than that. I've got so I've got seven that's times. Seven. Yeah, seven times. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the question is, given it's sort of like had a number of management teams and it's got, you know, it's got Roger McDonald uh, also at the, you know, sort of like, or Dow, sorry, at the, uh, uh, who's the, you know, the chairman, et cetera, who knows about sort of industrial distributors. They've had some pretty good managers, but it still hasn't been able to sort of move the dial. And I guess it comes back to that sort of like Warren Buffett thing. Is it a company that's going to beat and defeat management teams or is it one which can be turned around as that catalyst that, as, as Charlie Munger would say, invert, invert, and see where you can get to? I think the answer is that I may be wrong, but I think the previous CEO was originally the CFO. Yeah. And in our experience, sadly, CFOs becoming CEOs on balance tends to be less successful than one might like to think. Yeah, okay, yeah. In fact... Someone was uh, telling me that if you'd shorted every company that with a CFO had become the CEO, um, you would actually have quite a good portfolio of shorts. <laughs> yes, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it? Really, you need a you need a figurehead, you need a leader at the top who can bring people with them in terms of a vision, rather than a. a it may be very good on the numbers, but unless you've got a character who that can win the hearts of its employees and win the hearts and more importantly also of, the, of its customers then something happens who's just who can you know just the rational kind of person isn't going to be able to do that and bring the emotion into that whole selling exposure experience okay i think part of the problem was too that this was a collection of companies which haven't been integrated to the extent they should have been right okay which in itself creates you know another problem mm. um but this we believe this is actually a fundamentally good business. Yeah. Um, all three of us, uh, Stuart likes this stock. I like it's the stock. Richard likes this stock. So, kind of this is this is one the house has really has really put a major bet on working. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I suggested you, you send Richard or uh, or Stuart at the M6 to this, these guys and uh, get them <laughs> get them sort of like housed up there. Might make an absolute difference. Okay, let's move to um, Cars, which does is a distributor of sort of animal feed, but also has got quite an interesting engineering sort of robotics business for the energy sector, for energy and sorry for um, nuclear and also for uh, oil and gas. 
that doesn't seem to be too much synergies between the two. And um, well, there's absolutely zero synergies between just, the two. Just good as And what was also bizarre is that they seem to be putting their results out on Thursday this week. I mean, who does that? <laughs> That's a question I can't answer because obviously I'm not responsible for putting the results out on <laughs> Thursday this week. Uh, you're right, it's a bit of a first. Um, yeah. Can't explain that one to you. You'll have to ask. Uh, yeah, okay, gotcha. I'll watch out for the numbers the anyway. In all fairness, I think the issue was uh, they were trying to get them out earlier. And, and you know, a lot of these auditors these days yeah, okay. are just understaffed and they just don't get the job done in time. Yeah. But I mean, the, the way that we see this thing is it's got cash, uh, the pension assets should be enough to meet the pension liabilities, even on a buyout. Mm. Um, the agricultural business is in the public domain. It's, it's facing challenges because the herds are declining, but I suspect that's cyclical. Mm. And we think there's a, there's a very nice nuclear business in there that's very valuable. There is, yeah, I'd agree. I've, I've had a good look at it. I think that, I think that robotics engineering business is, is very good, actually. Yeah, and it's, it's tied into nuclear, and there's a lot of money being spent on nuclear, as you know, these days. Yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. Well, that sounds like it's non-bundling opportunity. It's 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 not. It's something which you'll. It's one of those. Uh, what do they call it? Basically, uh, you know, flowers that will will, will blossom when when they split out or when they realise when 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 that hidden value is um is is realised. Correct. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Let's move to the final sector. We've got house builders. We've got the old. Uh, we've got you know MJ Gleeson, which is an affordable sort of house builder up in the lies in the northeast and also around the midlands i guess it's you what's your broader view on that sort of like area because you did talk about obviously there's a lot of mortgages which you'll be refinancing over the next few years but uh the shares came off a lot at the liz trust disaster in about a year ago has now started to move a bit a bit further but are still pretty cheap actually well the thing's trading a, a discount book yeah of about 12 percent tangible mm. book yeah um it's still a relatively unique house builder to the extent that it focuses on affordable homes mm. for people in the north north and east and west of england and bit into the midlands yeah um there's no question the housing market has been tough but mortgage rates are slowly but surely coming down um and as rentals have gone up on the other side of the equation, mm. uh, logically, people should start buying again where it's affordable. Yeah. Um, what's disappointing is that we haven't seen the government come out with sort of a help to buy scheme of some of some meaningful proportions. Mm. And it's a it, it's a great irony that. Uh, most of my friends in the house building industry believe they will do better under a Labour government than they will, are under this Conservative government, which is a bit of a shocker. Yeah, it is actually. You're right. Yeah, that's a, a statement, isn't it? You know, I mean, you know, the Conservatives were meant to be the party of home ownership. Mm. Um, and now it's, you know, it's very much the Labour Party is talking about home, home ownership. Yeah. So, there's a big, there's a big sort of build to rent though, isn't there? There's a lot of institutional money coming in now, and I think that and these the affordable, you know, the house, the um, housing associations also need the skills associated. Some of the house builders to be yeah, able. This to... is absolutely true, and all the house builders are benefiting from it. Yeah, uh, 
and 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 there are pluses and minuses. Um, mm. The plus is uh, that you get the money quicker, so you've got less money tied up in inventory. Mm. Um, so your your churn of housing is faster. Mm. The negative, obviously, is there's less margin. Yeah. But the negative for the Conservative Party is people who rent are less likely to vote Conservative than owners. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> okay, good. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think long term, you know, it's, it's a it's it, it, it has great track record, and it, it, it's 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 gone through ups and downs before in the past, and uh, it still looks, as you say, it's cheap. It's trading at a discount, and it tangible book, and is is profitable. Um, and on top and- of it, you know, with the, the management still see themselves to be very much a growth house builder, i.e., mm. they do intend to increase to you know build up build back up through the 2000 houses per annum to, to you know, considerably greater numbers over the next few years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the management team is extremely experienced here. Mm. Um, you know, Graham came out of history and obviously Stefan's been with the company for a long time now as our finance director. Um, and James was our chief executive. So I think we have a completely the right team to deal with, you know, the difficult environment we're facing ourselves in. Yeah, and as I said, with a clear intention that to become a growth house builder again, and you know that's reflected also in the fact that um, you know the the policy of the company is to have a very well covered dividend, mm-hmm. so it has the financial resources to to expand its operations. Yeah, and its exposure to the cladding problem is very limited indeed, because as you can imagine, most of the of the houses we built were were houses single mm. you know, double story houses yeah no i would agree actually there's one which we've talked about which just we worth just quickly touching is frankel topping because i apologies i haven't raised that one because i know we've talked about a lot the shares have come down quite a bit they do basically sort of the, you know financial services for very vulnerable um people who have uh you know, basically had accidents in the NHS or or, or or whatever, and then they also help manage their their portfolios. Do you want to give us your latest on this one? Because uh, it's a real specialist, and uh, the shares have fallen quite a bit. Actually. Yeah, no, they have for sure. Um, and I think if you look at the business services companies or, mm. or C companies, you know, there is there's no problems there, um, but Frankel itself has a number of issues. Mm similar to other IFAs, although not nearly as bad. So Mm. we still have a business which can attract funds under management, where the typical IFA has actually seen people withdraw the funds as they want to pay down mortgages. Uh, They're hit by the cost of living crisis, where our typical client has just been awarded a huge amount of money Mm. and wants to invest it. But having said that... Um, their risk tolerance has gone down a lot. Mm. So, yeah, okay. uh, it was very fortunate that Frankel set up money market fund earlier in the year. Yeah, but the fees on the money market fund are very considerably smaller than, than equities. Yeah, of course. So people are looking at that headwind. Um, but from our perspective, at least we've got the funds under management. Mm. They're just not they're just not in an optimal place for our fees. So that's been a headwind. Yeah. Um, 
if you look at the IFA industry as a whole, mm. it, it's been a disaster. Uh, mm. You know, they all leveraged up to buy more IFAs. Uh, you know, some of that debt was at you know 14, 15% for mezzanine debt. Yeah. At one stage, there were 50 companies out there buying IFAs, believe it or not, or trying wow. to. Yeah. Um, so the, the guilt has come off that lily. Mm. Um, and again, you're caught in another, you know, very small cap company. Yeah. Uh, where it only takes somebody with a bit of a redemption. Mm. Um, because we're pretty close to 30%. So we yeah. can't buy anymore. Yeah. Um, however much we like the story. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in Frankel Topping, we do have a unique business. Mm. Um, we provide pastoral care for 10 out of the 28 trauma centers. Mm which enables us to choose the panel of solicitors. We've got uh, a, uh, a unique arrangement with Markle, a major US insurance company to help uh, solicitors fund their disbursements. Mm. Um, and slowly but surely we're creating businesses in all the various verticals to look after these severely injured people. Yeah. So we're providing short-term care, long-term care, witness reports, uh, costings reports, which enable them to people to understand what type of care they need and for how long. And, mm. and, and, and you're not actually delivering the service, you're providing the infrastructure enables the service to be delivered, if that makes sense to you. Yep, yep. So yes, we are a financial services company. Yes, we have the problems of financial services companies. And certainly when that national insurance bond came out yielding 6.2%, you know, everyone went, oh, wow. Yeah, just, just migrated to it. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's been a headwind. And obviously uh, the margins on fund management when you're talking about... about uh, the marginal cost of an extra pound of revenue is relatively low. So that provides a headwind. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. I mean, that doesn't mean it isn't a good business. Yeah. Uh, it's got no debt at the moment. It's mm. uh, you're doing fine. Um, but I think it's true of pretty well every fund manager this year. Mm. You know, it's been a pretty bad bear market for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you look at all the share prices have been totally you know hammered aren't they i mean you know look, you look at i know lion trust or you look at any of these ones uh, uh premium well, premium items down something like 65 percent. yeah no you're right absolutely well i mean, but no, I mean it's certainly disappointing yeah um and particularly as going forward as the earnouts come off in frankel mm. topping mm. we should be able to uh you know, get some get some increment increased synergies as we go forward over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, it might well you never know. It might be one of those that other people having a look at as con consolidation happens in the um, in the asset manager, given its USPs, the, the highly differentiated uh, model it has. Just before we finish, there's uh, nothing out there like it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And if you talk to a typical IFA, they're very jealous about this business mm. because they, a typical IFA, believe it or not, only has market growth. Yeah. Winning and losing clients is virtually a zero sum game. Mm. But we actually are a growth IFA. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good recurring revenue streams. And, uh, 
as I say, it gives you that uh, di- that differentiation. So your retention rate isn't, and your churns a lot. Your retention rates higher, and your churns a lot lower. I guess. Yes, yeah. retention rate is higher. Churn is a lot lower. Yeah. Um, and remember, we're looking after very vulnerable clients, so mm. the portfolios are much more conservative than you would find with a typical IFA. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. they have to be, because many of the people who we're looking after mm. will never have another job. Yeah. Okay, good. Just a just big picture before you, we finish up. Just sort of like looking into 2024. Are there any things that you'd sort of like suggest that uh, investors should avoid doing or, you know, sort of like to, to, to watch out for as we as we look for the next 12 months? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing most people are quite positive. So it's, it's not being sort of too cautious, I get is one thing. But uh, just what, what any, any things that, you know, easy mistakes that maybe investors should, uh, should, should, should just be cautious on? Well, I suppose the easiest the easiest piece of advice to give you is if you see a private equity group float an IPO, avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Too many people have been burnt in that respect. Well, just remember they've tried everything to sell this to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So you are no private equity group really in their hearts wants to float something. Yeah. Ironically. Yeah we're one of the few that actually don't mind because North Atlantic is very happy to own the company as a public company, just as a private company and get rid of our private equity side. So 10 entertainment in IPO to I think one pound 60 from memory. Mm. Uh, We had nearly all our shares when it got taken over at four pounds 12. Yeah. Okay. But that's because we really believed in the business and, and continue to support it. Um, Mm. But that'd be a general rule. I would still avoid companies with lots of debt. Yeah. Um, I think as debt gets rolled over, even with falling interest rates, it's going to get more expensive Mm. and it's harder to get. Mm. Um, What advice would I give you? Gosh, hard to say. Um, I guess the thing is... Try and find things which have gotten reason which are trading a big discounts to private market values and there's a lot of that out there at the moment yeah, yeah. The, the problem, and, and, and don't try and be clever go yeah. for some pretty basic stuff yeah the problem i have with 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 the sort of the you know a lot of those theses is to is, is is deciding what the is it a value trap or is it a value play and uh it comes around to usually can it be turned around and whether you think it, it is there a decent chance that it can you know reach success in the end of the um, at the end of the tunnel I think the answer is that the value trap is, is a very fair comment. Mm. The, the thing with us is where, where you could say, well, Christopher, you know, some of these could be value traps is we, we are passive. We just don't sit down and say, yeah, you know, carry on your happy lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, that, that is categorically not what we do. Yes. Um, and I think that's one of the attractions of our funds. Yes. Is okay. You can, you know, you can, crib off our ideas mm. um but you won't know when what we're actually planning to do yeah and you know these things don't all happen by accident should we say mm. i know I, and i would highlight that to investors it's a real differentiator of harwood i mean on a personal level i was uh, an investor in og and a few years ago and uh 
Christopher was on the board and turned that one round from, uh, I think he got down to 22p and was sold out at about three quid or so eventually. 375. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. And then there was, and then there was, Chris in all G- fairness, I didn't do the hard work. Jim Meredith. Yeah, was okay. The chairman became executive chairman. Okay, well, he, he, and had, he went he... from being Clark Kent to Superman in about one minute <laughs> and did an outstanding job. Well, to have a ten to have t- ten bag your money, that's not a bad effort. And then and then on Crestchick, I think during the pandemic it hit about sort of sixty, seventy P and was taken out at uh, four pounds one pence, wasn't it, in uh, last year. So uh, I've yeah, got I a big... very proud of that one penny. I was the one who personally <laughs> negotiated it. You might have had something to do with a bit in between as well, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks very much, uh, Christopher. And if anybody wants to sort of like, um, uh, you know, invest in uh, the Harwood funds, whether that's be the RX1 or the North Atlantic, uh, how best to do that? I guess they're traded stocks, aren't they? They're traded stocks. And, you know, and remember, we've got, uh, you know, Stuart Odyssean and Richard at Rockwood. And Richard just won the prize for being the best fund manager of the year. So I've got to work harder. Yeah, I guess I guess, I guess working in for the Harwood stable is there's high bars there, isn't it? You've got to be you've got to be pretty good to uh, to survive that. Well, I mean, if you look at five year performance, which I think is probably the always the most appropriate thing, mm. um, Harwood funds are one, two, and three in small cap. Wow, fabulous! So, okay, uh, yeah, it says everything that. Yeah, well, rolling. it's consistency of approach, and I think, yeah. as I said, it's a very collegiate group, mm. um, and relatively speaking, now to have you know five people who are none of which are trainees, all working, yeah, in this space means we're one of the, you know the bigger groups in London. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree, and and again. You know, I've been investing for over 30 years. And what I would say to highlight to to investors is that inevitably there are companies that go through tough periods. But if it's got somebody with a hardwood sort of badge on the board or or close as a shareholder, you can guarantee these guys roll their sleeves up and uh, and look to uh, to change the course and direction of that business to be, make it into a success. And there's been far too many instances where it has happened. So uh, I, I tip my hat to you guys and uh, a big thanks, I know, for a lot of investors who have, who have benefited uh, from that. So uh, well done. Now, a big, and also I'll just say, you know, um, I hope you have a great Christmas, uh, Christopher, uh, Christopher and, uh, and successful new year. And very much looking forward in uh, in touching base in six months' time and going through how these companies are, 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 have performed. Probably a few more M and A, and likewise any more recent buys. So thanks again, uh, Christopher. It's been really, really insightful and very, very um, you know useful for it for everybody. Well, and thank you very much indeed for your time, and a very happy Christmas to you and all your listeners. Brilliant. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks so much. The Vox Markets Podcast. Nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice, and the people in this podcast may hold positions in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation. Please do your own research. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health, Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330. 
or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.